0: You got inflation killing people. They're going to punish the president's party.
1: Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. This is our weekly roundup where we invite a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape. I'm excited for our incredible panel today because returning to the Roundup, senior advisor at the California Latino Economic Institute, my fellow co founder of the Lincoln Project, and as everyone knows, he starts every morning with a big bowl of numbers, our good friend, Mike Madrid. Mike, it's great to see you, be with you in person in sunny California again. How are you doing? I'm doing
2: great. This is going to be a great group. It's good to have our next guest on. I'm really excited about this one.
1: That's right. Making his politicology debut, Mike Murphy. Mike is one of the most successful political consultants in American politics. He has handled strategy and advertising for over 26 successful gubernatorial, senatorial campaigns. He was a senior strategist for John McCain's first campaign for president in 2000 and for Arnold Schwarzenegger's historic election as governor of California. In 2020, he joined aides to President George W. Bush and Senator John McCain to endorse Joe Biden for president. He's a partner at Revolution Agency, a strategic communications firm in Washington, D.C., and serves as the co-director of the Center for the Political Future at the University of Southern California. And most importantly, he hosts the podcast Hacks on Tap, with David Oxelrod and Robert Gibbs. Mike, Murphy, thank you for making the time today.
0: Well, thank you, Ron and Mike, an old, old buddy of mine, <laughs> Mike Madrid. It is great to be here. I, uh, well, for that introduction, I'll come back and you don't have to pay me the $10 <laughs> like normal. That was incredible. My only question for you guys is expert. Well, who's the expert? We got a couple of political bloviators here, but uh, it's wonderful to be here and congrats on the podcast, guys.
1: Thanks so much. We'll leave the listeners to settle that one. On this week's roundup, first, we'll discuss the gap between the Democrats' priorities and the priorities of the American people. Then we'll look at the epidemic of Spanish-language right-wing disinformation. We're also going to talk about the Democrats playing with fire as they continue to push far-right candidates in Republican primaries. And finally, when we switch tracks over to plus, we'll discuss what we should expect to see in 2023, when, not if, Republicans take back control of Congress and how Democrats could play the hand of the minority. Again, that will be in Politicology Plus, which is our private ad-free version of the podcast filled with strategy and analysis you won't get anywhere else. If you're listening to us in the Apple Podcast app, you can navigate to The Politicology Show and tap the button that says Try Free, or you can sign up at politicology.com slash plus. We'll dig in right after this. As we head into the midterms, Joe Biden's polling numbers continue to fall. Earlier this week, a new CNN-SSRS poll found that the outlook on the state of the country is worse than it's been since 2009. The view on the economy is the worst it's been since 2011. But perhaps the worst news for Democrats is that nearly 7 in 10 respondents said that President Biden hasn't paid enough attention to the nation's most pressing problems, and that number has increased by 10% since last November and nearly 20% since April of 2021. It's also the first time Biden has fallen below the Trump line on has had the right priorities since he took office. The number of respondents who said things are going very well or fairly well dropped to 21%. That was a point lower than the days following the insurrection. 75% of respondents said that expenses and the cost of living are the biggest economic problems their family faces. And that number has jumped by over 30% since last September. 38% 38% said it was inflation, 29% said gas, energy prices, 18% said cost of food. And Biden's job approval has fallen to 38% with his, with his support among Democrats eroding since May. There's been a 13% drop in job approval among Democratic respondents in the last few months, while Republicans and Independents have held about even. And a new Quinnipiac poll looks even worse for Biden with his job approval at 31 points. That includes 19% approval rating among Hispanic respondents. So, I'm Mike, gonna, I'm going to jump. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, Mike Madrid, why don't you lead off on this one? How are you thinking about the drop in approval ratings with Democrats?
2: Well, look, I mean, you've got to get to, I think it goes back to Harry Truman before you get to kind of these, these uh, lows. These are historic lows that um, have been uh, persistent since uh, really the beginning of the year, since the afghanistan you know, withdrawal and there's there's clearly a competence question that i think is generally um plaguing the president but the, the look the economy is just in bad shape you blame whoever you will but this is just it's the mood of the electorate is just very very sour 75% of respondents are saying we're in, heading in the wrong direction i mean these are these are really really terrible numbers for an incumbent party what i am in, in intrigued by and I'm, i really want to hear murphy's thoughts on this is there is this gap. There's this discernible gap uh, between the the Democrats holding up on the generic ballot in Congress and the president's approval ratings. Now, we're still a little over 100 days out. There's a long time to go with this stuff. And as we're watching things sort of settle and mix up a little bit, we are seeing some pretty significant shifts. There's been some erosion from Republicans uh, with senior citizens. This rightward Hispanic shift is, is no joke anymore. It's a, it's a five-alarm fire for the Democrats. Um, but W- with Biden's numbers as low as they are, sitting in the sitting in the mid thirties range and the wrong track at seventy five percent, it it perplexes me to see that Democrats are still even competitive um, in the generic ballot in both the House and in the Senate. And I've got to just believe that it's Republican extremism that is motivating and coalescing the Democratic base against. Republicans in a way that Democrats are incapable of coalescing their base for their own party.
1: Yeah. Murphy, how do you read this? And especially, how do you read the shift of Democrats away from the president, especially while the others are sort of holding even?
0: Well, you know, it's funny looking at these polling uh, numbers that have been building month after month after month, all going in the wrong direction with the exception of the generic a ballot in the congressional races for the president, I, I'm rem- reminded from Biden's point of view of the famous old story about the legendary Marine General Chesty Puller, who had five or 6,000 troops in the Korean War. And the colonel ran up and said, General Puller, we're surrounded by 100,000 Chinese communist troops, totally surrounded. What are we going to do? And Puller chomped on a cigar and said, good, now the bastards can't escape. <laughs> uh, there's, it, it's, it's just... It is as bad as bad can be. I mean, when your voters out there, not that we have as many swing districts after redistricting left, but when a when a voter in a district that can pop either way, twice a week gets punched, you know, metaphorically. Once at the gas pump it's in the grocery line. You you know, you don't have to be a political scientist to know that when the price of hamburger, which people remember for the weekend barbecue, is now thirty-five percent or more higher. Uh, you're going to have angry voters. So your wrong track goes through the moon and they get Frankenstein torches, which way to the castle mad. And they're looking for somebody to punish. Now, this is also kind of an increasingly permanent picture of American politics. As you guys know, the wrong track, right track thing used to kind of move like a big sine wave with the economy. Now, seven of the eight of the last eight big elections and seven of them, the party in power has been punished. So people just hit the red button. And, and my crank theory on why the generic is better is that has become less a predictor of the outcome. And I'm guessing here, but it's the only, only logical reason I can come up with. Less of a predictor of the outcome of the congressional races and more of a brand test between the parties. I hate them both, but those Republicans are terrible. I hate the Democrats, too. But the bottom line on election day, when you want to punish somebody traditionally, and I believe this year, you punish the biggest, most in charge person you can find, which is Biden, which means the Democrats. So in the House, if I were them, I'd, uh, there are a lot of things they should be doing. We talk about on Hex on Tap a lot, but they haven't done it. I think the House looks very, very grim for them, even with that that good bump they're having on the brand of R versus D now. The Republican Party deserves a lot of credit for that because we're, you know, we, great at scaring voters away um but other than the senate races where you have kind of a candidate dimension uh that may give the democrats some angles i think the generic situation is going to land badly uh for biden and the democrats because it's an economic referendum election you got inflation killing people they're going to punish the president's party
1: All right, I want to dig into one of the most significant data points in this Quinnipiac poll, Mike, that we were talking about yesterday, and I texted a mutual friend of ours, Top Shelf Data Scientist on the on the Republican side and asked him if he thought it was real. He said eh, it's close to real. If it's not real, it's getting in that direction, which is 70% of Hispanics disapprove of President Biden's job job performance. That that number especially when you contrast it to the to the generic, uh, who do you prefer to control Congress after the midterms, right? Those are pretty much tied, 44, 44, 44, 43. Um, can you explain the significance of that number uh, and and whether or not you think Democrats are paying attention to it, if they understand how to read that? Well, the short answer
2: is no, they're not paying attention to it. So let me just get that one out of the way. Yeah. The, the, the Democrats have absolutely no understanding of where they're heading with the with the Latino community. They haven't for years. I didn't realize how bad as it was, As you know, I, I would just take advantage of these opportunities as a Republican consultant. In the past two or three years, I've realized just how far out of reality and away from understanding the community they, they are at the highest levels, obviously, in the administration with their political consulting class. But so, short answer there is no. A couple things about Quinnipiac. Uh, first of all, you know, like most polls, it's designed to look at a, the broader community, right? The broader electorate. So the sample size is a little bit smaller than I would like when you're gauging just Hispanic opinion. Now it's not terribly small; but it, it, it's smaller to get a real accurate read. But even if it's plus minus ten, plus minus twelve, this is a really big, really big problem for the Democrats. Like this is this is really big to have a 19 percent approval rating. For for Joe Biden and a seventy percent disapprove, um, it, it's not it, it, it's not like they asked the questions wrong. It's not like they did you know too many samples in English or Spanish. Like these, there's just there's a there's a there's a very very big problem, and by a wide factor, not just in in this poll but in, in most of the polls that have been coming out in the past couple of weeks, inflation is overwhelmingly the top issue. I think Murphy just mentioned that uh, with 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 all voters, it's clearly that way with a factor of five um with Hispanics. And that stands to reason. Again, I keep driving this message home. This is the emerging working class in yes. America. This is that essential workforce. This is a non-college-educated voter, which is consolidating under the Republican banner faster than any time in the last 60, 70, 80 years. So it, it stands to reason that this is the community that is going to be the most disproportionately impacted by the financial troubles that the country is facing. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised at the breadth of the movement, again, do I believe that Republicans are going to get 70% of the Hispanic vote? No, they're not going to, but even if they're breaking, even that's a tectonic shift in American politics. I mean, this is a number in the 2018 cycle that Democrats were at a plus 41 plus 37 range. And now they're just sitting at a 50, 50 split. Okay. So this is that vote alone, you know, on top of what could potentially be a very, very strong Republican year, um, really has to make the Democratic Party question whether or not you know this is a swing voter, which I don't believe it is. I think it's moving in towards the right. I think it has been for many years. I think the country is just seeing these numbers affecting our politics now, and we're seeing a typical pol- uh, political assimilative pattern. Of an immigrant group growing rapidly. It's the fastest growing segment of the electorate. And it's just, it's, it's now happening in congressional districts and and Senate and gubernatorial races virtually everywhere in the country. So people are taking notice. It's a huge, huge, huge problem for the Democrats. They have absolutely no understanding or infrastructure to address it. Certainly not by November.
1: So, Mike Murphy, the the crux of this data is really, you know, the, the the point is the voters don't see the administration as being responsive to what they think are the biggest issues that we're facing. And it's sort of become a truism now, and we, we've talked about it a lot on politicology, that, you know, Democrats have a messaging problem. And if only they could learn to message a little bit better, then their messaging would persuade more people. But what do you make of the argument? That you know, there was this spiked piece uh, in an online magazine from the UK that argued Democrats don't have a messaging problem. They're just focused on the wrong things. They're focused on the wrong issues uh, that appeal to more white college-educated voters. Um, that for, you know, for example, climate change policy is a bigger priority for white college-educated voters than it is for other demographic groups, and that lower-income households share a disproportionate burden for the transition to renewable energy. Um, w- w- what do you, what do you make of that? Because I'm starting to not buy the argument anymore that if Democrats could just talk about it, things better then you know, people would like them more, it seems like they are increasingly talking about the wrong things, but they're actually messaging accurately about what they care about. It's just out of sync with the electorate.
0: Yeah, I, I think both can be true. Um, and, and the Latino question, I think, uh, and I'll wind around back to, uh, around what you were bringing up that the democrats have been screwing this up for a while and they're a little bit oblivious to it. It's a big warning sign for them because it is the biggest change happening now in party identification. You saw it in I mean, the last election in South Texas, other places where there were shocking results and of course the democrats got a bunch of sociologists together and what what went wrong? Well what went wrong is if the republican party is in the clutches of stupidity and occasionally sedition, the democratic party is in the ruthless clutches of identity focused politics. I remember I've done a lot of races in Dade County, Florida and statewide in Florida. And I remember they'd send Kamala Harris to Dade County, big mistake. There's a lot of tension in that, that County and going with an identity message down there as opposed to other messages that are more important to the community. First, any aspirational community moving up in America cares about economics. It is a blue collar community trying to become a college educated white collar community. That is the thrust to build America. It's true of every ethnic group. And it's very true in in of the Latino vote in most places. And there's a huge chunk of Latino vote that's already there. Uh, you know, so that wants to defend what they have economically. So the Democrats totally are not playing music in many places that those addressable voters want. Instead, they're going to tell them that it, it's all about check your DNA code and we'll tell you how to vote. And it, it is the most tone deaf thing in the world, but parties are captive internally to their own politics. It is hard in the Republican party to stand up and say, Hey, maybe we shouldn't try to kill the president on, excuse me, the <laughs> vice president on January 6th, Trump trade, mega oh, traitor, And you get <laughs> shouted down by the local aluminum foil hats at the County committee. You fought, rhino. To show up. <laughs> rhino. Yeah. Yeah. Rhino, oh, Rhino, Rhino. Right. Um, uh, Crystal sent me this great gif of a Rhino basically Cutting an elephant in half, you know, charging it. Uh, but uh, maybe we need a flag. But 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 the the point is, the parties are often very bad at getting outside their own base internal political heads, and the Democrats now have this problem with the Latino vote, and it's going to be hugely consequential. The other thing is, Mark Melman is a very smart Democratic pollster. Mm-hmm. likes to yell at the the Dems that, you know, because we're, you're all good Marxists, this is, that's my addition, and Mark doesn't actually say that. I think Mark probably is a very good Mark, but he's a, he's a patriot and an old friend. But he'll say, you guys, you always think it's about class. No, it's about culture. Mm. And Republicans connect to working people on cultural issues. You know, it's not Das Capital, the the workers, uh, the means of production, so we ought to shut down the Chevy plant. It's You're making overtime under the Republicans in northern Michigan. You can buy a a cottage. We're not going to take your hunting rifle away. And, And for you Catholics there, you know, it's okay to send your kid to a Catholic school. So the point is the Republicans are much better at the language of cultural differences. Now, some of it is a little gross on the extremes. I've called it out for years. Now we're looking at, you know, potential, I mean, we had what, over 170 Republicans vote against codifying gay marriage. I mean, you know, when it goes bad, we become the elders from Footloose and we, we go lose secular voters in the suburbs like 2018. But the Dems are not exploiting much of this because they want to come in and give you a lecture about your DNA tells you how to vote. And if you're sitting there for inflation and your choice is a Burger King job in South Texas... Or an oil field job that may not be on the hit parade of fighting global warming at the Harvard faculty lounge, but pays five times more and some health insurance for your family. It's not a hard choice anymore. So that that's what's happening. And if the Democrats don't wise up here, uh, they, there's going to be a new populist, non-college educated, to get to what Mike was getting at, uh, um, a block that is going to be hugely consequential. And it's going to be mixed white and Latino.
1: This week, the Washington Post published an opinion column by Lizette Alvarez about the, quote, epidemic of Spanish language right-wing disinformation. On social media and Spanish language platforms and AM radio revving up heading into the midterms heading into 2020 there were videos and news stories in Spanish calling Joe Biden a communist Uh, after the election there were disinformation campaigns calling Black Lives Matter activists uh, claiming Black Lives Matter activists staged the January 6th insurrection and that Joe Biden stole the election. These stories spread through WhatsApp and YouTube and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as the midterms approach, social media researchers and democratic political strategists say that the disinformation is ramping up on those platforms and new ones, including TikTok, Signal, and Telegram. According to Mashable on Facebook, 70% of COVID misinformation in English was was flagged with a warning label compared to just 30% of comparable misinformation in Spanish. So Mike Madrid... You, you and I were talking about this the other day. so I want you to sort of set the table here about how we should be thinking about this misinformation problem in the context of the shift of Latino voters that's going on more broadly. And maybe you want to mention the the uh, the Libre initiative mm-hmm. that uh, that sort of catalyzed this conversation.
2: yeah. let me so and I want to put a little bit of context around this yeah. too because it's very important. and one of the one of the big concerns I have about this is there is this kind of sort of white progressive knee jerk reaction to just dismiss what is happening with this rightward shift amongst Hispanics in America, um, and di- just dismissing it as kind of the the uneducated gullible brown people who are you know uh, listening to telenovelas uh, and Spanish radio and are susceptible to this, and so you know it's it's just problem. Well,
1: oftentimes what I hear, especially when we're talking about you know the Hispanic trend toward Republicans, a lot of Democrats will say, well, they're just white, actually. Well, Hispanics are white.
2: Yeah, but let's right. let's let's, let, let's set that aside okay. for a moment because most of us actually affiliate as as not uh, right. Census, you know, Hispanics are white unless they're not.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, right?
2: But and that's why we use the term non-Hispanic white is right. when we're talking about you know white white folks. So, yeah. but again, let's, without getting okay. into the culture and nuance of race too much, um, what is important to understand about the Hispanic voter is overwhelmingly. This is a U.S.-born English dominant or English exclusive audience. Overwhelmingly, there are some regional exceptions: South Florida, uh, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, you know, where there is more Spanish language media. And so, um, I just—I just, I just uh, th- those two things are very important for me to, to kind of put on the table. Is 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 i there's this stereotype to be like, oh well if they're you know gonna be, be getting all these gullible Spanish speakers and then the Latino voters moving that way uh for that reason, that's just absurd. Now, having said that, it is absolutely true that there have been investments, probably from a lot of foreign uh actors, nefarious actors, spreading misinformation on these channels, YouTube, WhatsApp, Facebook. Uh, uh, Spanish language, uh, you know, mass media, radio. Uh, th- 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 this is this is not new. It is a very, very, very big problem, and it is a real problem. And it is not as policed as much as it is in English, because we became more aware of it in the 16 cycle than than we did, you know, um, uh, over the course of the past few years, and we're just tuning into it now. So w- the problem that I'm seeing. Is 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 now, uh, uh, you know, the Libre Initiative, uh, and 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 I have had a lot of interactions with Daniel Garza, who runs the Libre Initiative. It's a Coke-funded operation, which was very different in its tactical approach pre-Trump than it has been post-Trump. It was actually doing some very smart things that Democrats were never doing. They were going into communities, they were going and talking about education reform, they were helping people register to vote, they were literally a part of the community. Um, now adjusting and just the past few days saying this rightward shift that's happening is a function of uh the Hunter Biden news right is 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 hispanics are waking up that the corruption in the, the family corruption in the White House <laughs> by the bidens is 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 something that you know, hispanics are being able to relate to because of what's happened in Venezuela or with Castro's regime or in Mexico. And it's not only a misunderstanding of the Latino electorate and the size of the electorate that they're talking to in Spanish, because, again, the the recently migrated are not a very terribly significant share of the Hispanic vote. Like you got the the grandsons and granddaughters of people that are no different than the grandsons and granddaughters of Italian, Greeks, Poles, Jews of, you know, around the, the turn of the last century. We're not waking up, you know, in a cold sweat in the middle of the night worried about ICE coming in and deporting us. And and so the, both the right and the left kind of use this stereotype of what the Hispanic voter is and both really are missing the mark, but it does serve a political uh, – to, to, to Murphy's point, there's this orthodoxies in both parties that they're mm. both captive to is what Garza is saying is really not only feeding this false narrative – uh, and trafficking in the same, trafficking in the same kind of bullshit that 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 a Fox News or a or one Nation News Network or whatever the hell they are um is doing but it's it's it it's not having an impact at all with the communities that he's he's purporting to be convincing it's almost like telling the these these white conservative donors that your nationalism and your racism is okay because they're responding to this, and it, it's just not true,
1: Murphy. You're you're nodding along there. What's what's the yeah? Point no, no.
0: There? I it, it, there, there's so much any bad analysis about the Latino vote. It's very big, very complicated, and very multidimensional. Uh, it, you know, to this thing about disinformation. First of all, if you if you want. Spanish language disinformation. Uh, there's plenty on the right, but also go read a couple of old Castro or Che Guevara speeches, by the way. You know, <laughs> no, right, there's, right. There's, there's been right. disadvantage on the left <laughs> since Lenin promised a uh, piece bread and land. Uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, the, the press in the press world. And I don't think they're. Lenendez,
2: Lenendez, as we called him
0: back in the <laughs> old country. The, uh, <laughs> The the press world is culturally left biased, and so it's always the right, right wing threat. God forbid you send a nice kid who works at the New York Times or the Post to uh, something with fried food and guns in Oklahoma because they didn't learn about that at Brown. Uh, other than it's you know a threat to the Constitution. But anyway, put, putting all that aside, problems the digital communications. You know, I, I'm so Jurassic that I remember when you'd walk into like a state assembly or even a congressional primary campaign. And the the key weapon the campaign manager, the field director, had was a lockbox full of stamps. There'd be $5,000, $10,000 of stamps in a little lockbox with a key in the campaign manager's desk. And they're even even fraud. You remember way back when Rostankowski got caught with government-funded stamps he was cashing in? Anyway, stamps are really important. Why? Because you needed them to communicate other than the big stuff, TV and radio. Volunteers would roll in. They'd they'd have a postcard. They'd sign, I'm for Symmetric. You should be for Symmetric, too. Put a stamp on it, mail it. Well, then, then the internet came around. Now we got free stamps. So you don't need the lockbox, which means you don't really need the $10,000, which means you don't really need to wear a suit to the Chamber of Commerce local fundraiser and not drool on anybody. You know, you had to impress a couple of elites or on the Democrat side, you had to go down to the plumbers union and think, well, that guy's not a drunk or a jerk. Maybe we can get behind him. He might actually win an election. Uh, So the, the elite, when I'm for this, the elites that used to filter this a little bit to get the money to buy the stamps, to leverage the First Amendment, to have a campaign are all gone. So now you can, you can get on social media and we know the way the algorithms work and the way human psychology works, the crazier the shit, the better it can fly. Bad news does travel faster. So if you're in the business of mind warping people, the internet is, it's miracle grow. It is incredibly useful because the stuff will spread on its own if it's weird and interesting enough. You know, we're, we're, we're wired animals. I mean, and we're, gonna, we're getting to this now of deep fakes. I'm, I'm a fairly smart, fairly experienced old codger, uh, trained by some smart Jesuits to think critically. But if I see a Tyrannosaurus Rex walking down the street toward me, even though I know, well, this is obviously not real. My feet are already moving because I am programmed (laughs) to believe what my eyes see and think about it later. I am, I am going over the fence, trying to find a slower person to throw toward the T-Rex to buy time to escape. That's why this stuff works so well in social media. And pretty soon, we're going to have Abraham Lincoln endorsing people on, on, on videos that are going to look every bit as real as a Jurassic Park dinosaur. And even though we know not to believe it, you know, the political scientist, I believe his first name is Eugene Lakoff, wrote the great book, Don't Think of an Elephant. Well, we're all thinking of an elephant. So that's how this stuff works. And anything that works in politics is incentivized and rewarded, and you get more of it. Uh, And finally, a point Mike made that I agree with, or maybe you made it, Ron. I think Mike did. But one reason this stuff isn't being caught as much is the systems are not yet as fluent in Spanish, the hunt. I mean, what Zuckerberg would say if we tie him up and threaten him with a CGI Raptor, he'd say, don't worry. I know it's shit now and it's terrible, but when the AI gets really good, it will police it. Which is true, but then you're living with super powerful AI, which is a whole nother another can well, of worms. So
1: we're gonna be living it's with Spanish it.
0: Spanish language is part of it, why they can't place yeah. as well. It'll get better. Can I yeah. can I just can yeah. I just
2: point out that it's amazing in in one kind of eloquent diatribe? You can talk about Rostenkowski, <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln <laughs> Abraham Lincoln deepfakes and Miracle Grow. Like that's Mike Murphy in a nutshell. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. I uh I communicate through analogies. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I used to write for Dennis Miller.
1: (laughs) All right. On Tuesday, Dan Cox became the Republican nominee for governor of Maryland. In 2020, Cox fought against the certification of Biden's victory in the 2020 election and fought Maryland's COVID mitigation measures. He even launched a failed bid to impeach Republican Governor Larry Hogan, While the Capitol was under siege on January 6th, Cox called Vice President Pence a traitor. His unhinged antics helped him pick up Donald Trump's endorsement. Cox is among a growing list of anti-democracy Republicans who are getting support from Democratic groups seeking a more favorable opponent in the general election. We talked about this uh, last week on the Roundup. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of these guys now. This, they're doing it all over. We talked about the Illinois gubernatorial race when the DGA spent money to push Darren Bailey in the Republican primary. It worked. Um, and we noted at the time that was a risky proposition, but okay, paid off. Last week, we talked about Arizona Democrats trying to push Kerry Lake in the general election. In Nevada, they're supporting Joey Gilbert, who said he has not a single regret about being at the rally turned insurrection in Washington. Ron Hanks was outside the Capitol during the attack uh, that he described as a peaceful rally. Democrats are boosting him in his Colorado Senate primary. And in Pennsylvania, as we all know, they boosted Doug Mastriano, who they thought was a long shot against Josh Shapiro. But Politico is now reporting that the governor's race is tightening. Let's take a step back here for a second. Mike Murphy, I actually listened to you and uh, Axelrod and Gibbs talk about this recently on the on the podcast. And I wanted to get your take on the, you know, the more recent developments. So can you talk about this, this, this strategy? First, first of all, you know, it's a, you know, for listeners, right? Because we hear from a lot of democratic listeners who are like, you know, I wish the Democrats could just campaign and fight scrappy like Republicans do and win more. And this seems to be, um, you know, a lot of them are going to see this and think, well, at least they're fighting, right? At least they're trying to be smart and strategic about this. But it's also a deeply cynical move. So, I wonder if you can talk about both the strategy and the morality, right, of 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 this of this approach.
0: Well, if you heard me on hacks on tap, you know this makes my head explode. Um, it's an old trick. I mean, I remember doing governor races back in the '90s where there'd be a Democratic primary. And one candidate was maybe weaker than the other, but not screaming kooks like we have now. So we do something like have the governor go out and we're pick a little fight with them on some lefty issue to get the lefty guy the ability to sell some tickets in the primary. Ha <laughs> ha You know, and then then the, the Gray Davis folks out here in California spent a bunch of money trying to screw with Dick Reardon in the 2002 primary. Same same thing. Yeah, I get it. That was kind of a agreed to hard hockey check maneuver back then. And I think fairly legit. The Dems did more of it than the Repubs did, but both both sides did it. The problem now is the variety of kook is far more dangerous. So with all due respect to Josh Shapiro or J.B. Pritzker or you know any of these candidates, I, I don't think they're so important to the future of the country that they got to win by spending money to give a platform to a nut to get other nuts to vote for them. Uh, and then, one, take away any choice the voters have. There is no serious choice in Maryland. You know, it's over. If you if you believe in the rule of law, there's only one candidate to vote for, no matter how you feel about them. The debate has gone, the choice. They disenfranchise voters. You know, the Dems are very quick to talk about that. Well, this is a backdoor way to do it. I mean, Pritzker in Illinois drove me particularly nuts. It, it was like $35 million bucks to take a kook from a cornfield who thinks Southern Illinois ought to create either its own country or become North Kentucky uh, and and just pound them with money uh, to elevate them so Pritzker can do what he's doing now, which is go run for president hanging around New Hampshire and everything and not have a competitive race in the general. Um, the second problem, and Pennsylvania is the best example of this, that guy, the governor of Pennsylvania, as you guys know, has extraordinary power in the Electoral College selection. And we got an election denier now. Now, will, will Shapiro win? I hope so. I'd vote for him. Despise that tactic as as I do. But what happens if it doesn't happen? I don't know if Shapiro's got a brother-in-law who's going to drive a bus into a church. I mean, I there's always that 10 or 20 percent risk factor. So it's a really greedy, cynical thing for these guys to do. I mean, can't you beat them as a regular credible democrat that you, you really have to go rig the Republican primary to again put a kook on steroids? How is that good for democracy or anything else? And so I a shame on all 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 these folks. If they were they were running a, a direct mail flyer, doing the way it was in the old days. I kind of get it. But massive amounts of money with massively crazy people in between taking an hour to give pious speeches about how democracy is under attack. Really? You know, you, you 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 do that by giving a kook $38 million on a platform. It, it is, it, they are, uh, I, I think it's contemptible.
1: I mean, that's, that's the piece of this that stands out the most to me, right? The, 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 the rhetoric that you offer is these guys are fascists. They're destroying the country. They're, you know, like by no means should they be anywhere near the levers of power, but let's write them a big fat check and keep sending them money. So that, right. This, that's the part that's completely incongruous to me. So, Mike Madrid, can you talk about the different levels of risk between trying this strategy in for example you know Maryland or Illinois compared to Arizona or Pennsylvania Murphy Murphy mentioned this and we've talked about it a bit but maybe it's good for our listeners to understand just how important those states are especially Pennsylvania in the electoral college and and you know what like what that what what could happen? The risk factor? Yeah, and it, look,
2: it's the power of the office, right? That that you're talking about. That's what's so scary here, and I think Murphy just wrapped it up really, really well. It's this is not like a school board, you know. Which it's it's bad enough at a school board, by the way, because then they start banning books, you know, or, or or you know, running on critical race theory or whatever they're doing. But when you're talking about a governor's race that actually, or or, or secretary of state's office. Or these people who are just saying, I don't agree with the outcome of the election. So, I'm, and I've got the power now to 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 vote for my candidate, um, and are and are they're not hiding that fact, right? The stakes are too high to be playing with that kind of fire. And I fully get the political calculation. Right, especially this negative partisanship that that people are going to you know vote um, against these candidates as much as they're going to vote for my candidate, and so the math says that the more crazy and extreme that this guy is, the greater the likelihood it is that I win. But but when you're you know you don't you don't you don't that's why you don't play Russian roulette, right? It's the the downside is, is complete. Like you lose the whole thing. (laughs) And in states like a Pennsylvania, that's what happens. You, you never know what's going to happen in the course of a campaign. You don't know if your candidate's going to have a heart attack. Like sometimes they do in Pennsylvania. You never know like what, what the outcomes are going to be. And to, to play with this type of, of zero sum politics, it's just extraordinarily dangerous. And I think we are, we need to get past That point in our politics because it is not only cynical; it is as as Mike just mentioned, a form of voter suppression, and perhaps most importantly, it is extremely dangerous to democracy. And if you are a party that is engaging in that type of black magic, black black hat trickery, um, you're you're making the problem worse. You're part of it now.
1: Now that we're up to speed on some of the biggest stories of the week let's turn to what you're watching under the radar. Mike Murphy, what do you have for us?
0: You know, I'm, uh, the romantic in me, which will be crushed by the reality of politics yet again, is kind of watching the uh, Liz Cheney primary out in Wyoming because she's been such a, a courageous patriot on the January 6th stuff, which has had an effect. You know, the conventional wisdom beltway was, oh, nobody cares. No, Trump has got his frame bent it has changed the republican primary dynamic uh, a, a lot is happening so she's in a tough situation among republicans she's behind but like virginia it's a no party registration thing so anybody can vote so we're we'll see if, if 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 this now there is a, a a fighting chance for her which i know they've got a big program trying to turn people out it's still a pill but uh, i'm hoping so i'm i'm kind of keeping an eye on that and for the first time in a long time The Republican 2024 primary is now alive. It is not just a mono-Trump show. There's going to be a contest. People are coming out of their caves and, and doing things that they were afraid to do just 100 days ago. And so that's starting to get very interesting to me. Talks all about this, Antis, but there's other stuff, too.
1: Good one. Mike
2: Madrid, what do you got? I'm watching the economic meltdown in China. (laughs) <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, this, this <laughs> debt bubble that's moving around is going to have extraordinary impact, impacts on the global economy, which is already kind of on the ropes. Uh, this debt crisis, people refusing to pay their mortgages, um, the amount of leverage that the um, Evergrande um, uh, Real Estate Investments Trust um, you know, teetering on the edge up until the last minute, being rescued um, was just a temporary patch you've got millions and millions of of Chinese who are not paying their mortgages and are refusing to and if an economic collapse hits China um it's a it's a flu that will hit all of us an economic disaster that will will wash over an economy that's already not um on good ground so and i, I think that could have could have political implications i just i don't know how long it will take to get here but it's a very real situation in China. I just don't know that there's a patch big enough to just glue over the problem that's, that's manifesting there.
1: All right, gang, before we flip over to Politicology Plus, where can everybody find you on the internet, Mike Murphy?
0: Well, I, I'm on the Twitter machine that the kids dig. Um, <laughs> as, at Murphy Mike, my name backwards, at Murphy Mike. You can check out the free, twice a week by email, free bloviating Hacks on Tap newsletter that Gibbs and I do. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin.com. And of course, the Hacks on Tap podcast every Tuesday with Axe, Gibbs and I, old political farts tell you what's really going on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It really is good, folks. Mike Madrid. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Madrid underscore Mike. And I'm on Twitter at Ron Steslow. Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcast app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at